Thank you for the offering. May the Lord add his blessing to it. I want to encourage you this morning to turn in whatever form that you use to the book of James chapter 3. Continue to remind you that you have the bulletin sent to you by midweek um, so you can see the scripture ahead of time and have it read. For the overachievers, maybe even have it memorized by the time we get together. I didn't ask Ted to memorize the passage he's going to read for us today, but he is going to read James chapter 3 for us this morning. Lord, we thank you for your word today, and we just ask your blessing upon it. We ask, Lord, that you just open our hearts and our ears and our minds to the word of God. And Father, may you speak to us in these moments we have together, and we'll praise you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. There's a man in Niagara Falls years ago. He was a kind and lovable character. Many thought him to be quite simple-minded, though, for this reason. People would come into the town and offer him a choice of a dime or a nickel, and he always took the larger coin, or if it was a nickel and a quarter, he would always take the quarter. And for a while, the people would just kind of stand by and watch and shake their heads and go, this guy doesn't seem to have it all together. And then finally, someone just couldn't take it any longer, and they went up to him and they said, you know, don't let these people take you for a fool any longer. The nickel might be larger, but the dime is worth twice as much money. And the man said really quietly, I know, I know. But if I start taking their dimes, they will stop offering me free money. (laughs) And the simple-minded man turned out to be quite wise after all. This morning we're going to be talking about the subject of wisdom in the book of James chapter 3. And like Proverbs, a book of wisdom in the Old Testament, James to me seems to be a book filled with thoughts and ideas of wisdom in the New Testament. Have you ever been to the bookstore and seen those books like Computers for Dummies or, you know, Spanish for Dummies or whatever that is? Most of you know what I'm talking about. The rest of you, I guess, uh, I'll be just, you just don't know what I'm talking about. There is even a book called Choosing a Football Team for Dummies. And I think there are some people in our church who just need to be told that at the end of the book it says it's the Oregon Ducks. I wasn't going to mention Frank's name because he's a Cougar fan, but there we go. Nick's not in here, so I can share his name, rooting for the Huskies. He beat your team, though, last night. What was up with that in the, in the Snowbageddon game? Do you see that LSU-Texas A&M seven-overtime game? I'm glad I didn't watch that. I think it had to take three naps. 
James could be called the book of Christianity for dummies. And without dumbing down the word of God, I want to say it differently. If I could rewrite or took the time to summarize or to put into common English language the book of James, it might be Christianity for the spiritually challenged. That sounds a little more gracious than Christianity for dummies. But there is so much in this book for us to learn. And you've heard me share it many times. It is so simple. And it is so practical, and it's so down-to-earth that, that we literally could read it any time of the day or night, and I think God might have something to say to us, and I hope that he has something to say to us this morning. Think of some of the great questions in the Bible, like when Pontius Pilate asks, what is truth? Or the question Jesus asks his disciples, who do men say that I am. Or maybe the greatest question in all the Bible, when God comes to Solomon and asks him, I will give you one thing. I will give you one wish, anything that you desire, and you will have it. Do you remember Solomon's answer? This is where, all right, wisdom, thank you. He asked for wisdom. Imagine this morning if God came to us and said, being it's the 25th of November, Christmas is exactly a month away. Have you asked your kids for the Christmas gift wish list yet? Or your spouse, your grandkids, or whoever it is that's special in your life. If God would come to us during the worship time this morning, maybe he already has and said, I just want to give you something. I'll give you one thing. What would it be? I can remember a time in my Christian life where it had been a new house or a new car or a new boat, or, and all those things sound really, really nice. But in light of the passage and James' teachings on the idea of wisdom, I just wonder if we might remember Solomon's answer as maybe the greatest answer to the greatest question that has ever been given. Or Proverbs chapter 3 says it this way, Joyful is the person who finds wisdom. And the one who gains understanding. For wisdom is better than silver, and its wages are better than gold. Wisdom is more precious than rubies, and nothing you can desire can pair with her. She offers you long life in her right hand, and riches and honor in her left. She will guide you down delightful paths, and all her ways are satisfying. Over and over again in Scripture, wisdom is placed at the pinnacle of spiritual discipleship. The mature are wise, and the wise are mature. And so James calls out to us in the beginning of this passage, each and every one of us, with a gut check, with a heart check, with a life check, saying something akin to, do you think you have the spiritual thing figured out? Prove it by the way you act, especially in your conduct and gentle spirit. Remember, he's talking to those who would want to be teachers and He's saying to them, it's not about how smart or how learned we sound or how many Bible verses we may have memorized, although it's a good practice to have, how quietly we sit in church or how high we raise our hand in worship or even how often we attend. But it's how we demonstrate what we claim to know by the way we live our daily life. And so we want to share a few minutes together on this idea of two kinds of wisdom. And he talks about it in this passage. There's what he calls an earthly wisdom that let's just admit together that's the bad part of wisdom, right? That's the, that's the side that we don't want. And then there's a heavenly wisdom. 
And he contrasts the two ways of thinking and the two focuses that they have in that place. But what is wisdom? If we don't define it first, then we're just going to be talking about this mysterious idea out there of something that I wish I had more of, but I don't really know what it is that I want more of to have. What was it that Solomon was asking for centuries ago? What was it down through the years that the prophets and the apostles and the disciples of God have been encouraged to ask God for? In James chapter 1, remember, it says, if any of you lack wisdom, ask God and he'll give it to you without holding anything back. So what is wisdom? What does it mean to, to, to have wisdom, to gain wisdom? What does it mean to be wise? I say, first of all, it's not knowledge. In our world today, we're taught that education is the cure for every evil. And you can have the smartest cookie on the block, and you'll have little to no wisdom at all. I read this week that every seven years, our medical knowledge doubles. Every 20 years, our scientific knowledge around the world doubles. And in 2020, in 2020 our global knowledge just of everything that we know will double every 72 days. And we will become smarter and smarter with access to more and more information than we've ever had before. And I wonder this morning how much wisdom we'll gain just from knowing everything there is to know in the dictionary or in the encyclopedia or whatever Google decides to tell us is true. But a simple definition of wisdom seems to feel right to me. It's not rocket science. It's not that hard to understand. It is simply the ability, wisdom is the ability to apply what the Scripture teaches to life in a way that brings glory to God. It is rightly applying the truths of the Bible to life's situations and circumstances. Wisdom is putting our faith onto the road and where the rubber meets the road. I'll share an example. Um, a couple, few years ago, we started a ministry at a different church and there was a lot of excitement. We had kids being involved in the ministry, and, and new attenders were being involved in the ministry, and it just it brought energy and excitement. It was a new way that we were outreaching together, and I got an anonymous note in the um, offering plate. Uh, with my, It had my name on it, but no one else's name. And if you want to test the sermon with me and all the other sermons in the book of James, leave me an anonymous note without your name. And you will test every fiber in my being. If you, just throw this out there, if you have something to say, then put your name on the note and let's talk about it. If you don't, then just maybe keep it to yourself. So I received one of these anonymous notes and went through everything that I had to go through in order to say what I just said with love and with grace. But I received an anonymous note criticizing the ministry because of reasons that I felt were, were, were sad. They were upset because um, new people were being able to make a difference, and they, you know, they were handing out food to the homeless and the people who didn't have any, and any of us should be able to do that. And, and down the list that went of the ways that this person felt, I don't, still don't know who they are to this day, was wrong with this exciting new ministry that it felt like God was a part of. And I have to tell you, I didn't handle it wisely. <laughs> James says that there is an earthly wisdom and a heavenly wisdom. Well, I went right to the, to the mud. <laughs> and it quickly became what he talks about, and we're going to get to it in just a little while. It became about me and the ministry that we had started, and I felt criticized, and I felt cut down, and I felt hurt, and, and I got really upset. And, you know, it seems like 
looking back on it now, if you've been with us for a number of weeks, not that long ago, a preacher that I know talked about being quick to listen and slow to get angry. Uh, There's wisdom, great wisdom in that kind of reaction. But unfortunately, in that case, I was quick to get angry and slowed about everything else. (laughs) And I just let that fester in me. and, And I didn't, I don't remember even praying about it. I just it just rubbed me wrong, and I couldn't let it go. And so a number of weeks went by, and I was talking with my wife and hadn't really, she can tell when something's bothering me like that. I try to keep it in, and she, finally she's like, you know, just cough it up. It's there. I know it's there. You know it's there. What's going on? And I shared it with her, and I was like, she was like, you know, that probably hurt, but, you know, how long are you going to let that rule you? How long are you going to let that person who didn't have the courage to stand up and put a name to their criticism work in your life and you just need to turn it over to the Lord and, and let it go? And I look back after preaching the sermon on being slow to get angry and realize how quick I was to react and how quick I was to respond and how little wisdom there was in that, but a whole lot of what James talks about in this passage that wasn't right. Now, thankfully, I was able in a public arena to hold it in until God dealt with my heart. But James talks about this in the passage, and you'll see it on the screen, three different ideas about what we need to think about and look at and ponder as we work through this passage together. And he first of all just simply says that when we have wisdom, it works. When we have the wisdom of God, then it works in our life. James had just recently talked about how many of you want to become teachers and how there's extra accountability and extra limelight because of all the words that you say in public. And he's like, you know, you need to be careful about the way that you talk and the the reasons that you want us to talk because there's going to be extra accountability there. But he says, in order for this to be real in your life and true, that it needs to be happening in your daily life. So I thought the right way for, for us to do that was kind of what I just did. Now, this went back a few years because I wanted to keep a name. Well, I didn't have the name. Uh, secure. But you might be here this morning thinking about a conversation with your child or your spouse or a coworker or a friend or a neighbor this week, and, and that, that quick reaction, that, that lack of wisdom came out in that moment, and the Lord needs to work with you on that. And James simply says that we can sing and we can worship and we can pray and we can testify. And if we cannot consistently demonstrate a life of grace and love and humility before others, and meekness was one of the words he uses, then it's just lip service. And it's just, it's just claiming to really have something that we don't seem to demonstrate much of. And that's just the way that James talks. That's just the way he deals with this, and it may be, uh, make us uncomfortable, and, and it may be not the friendliest way to go about it, but he simply says, if you have this in your life, if this is a part of who you are, then it comes out in your conversations. It comes out in the way you demonstrate yourself to others, and it comes out in the way that you live your daily life. And if we have acted in a way that feels unwise in this week, then we should ask God for forgiveness and maybe even ask someone around us forgive us as well. Wisdom is a lot about decision-making, making making choices with our speech or to not speak at all, making choices with our money or not with our money, making choices in our relationships or to avoid them. And time and time again, we are placed with these decisions in front of us many times during the week. And James simply says, if you have the Holy Spirit and you have the Lord in your heart, then he will work these things out and he will teach you 
the way to go. I might throw in a verse from the Old Testament where it says, God's word of I hid it in my heart, so I'm going to paraphrase it so I might have wisdom. <laughs> Remember, the definition wasn't having all the knowledge of the Bible in order to make the smartest decision. The wisdom was having the principles to apply what God has already said in a way that brings glory to him. Have you ever met someone who took a scripture and turned it completely around in order to do what they wanted to do? I remember someone talking about God's desire for them to be free. It meant that they could leave the person they were currently married with and go be with someone who they weren't married with because God wanted them to be free. And I'm thinking, uh, that's not what he was saying in any way. And there was such a great lack of wisdom in there, I wondered if there was any wisdom at all. And I think that's what James is trying to bring us to this understanding is, is that in our lives there is God's way or another way. There is God's way or the way of the earth. And the wisdom that we have is because we seek out the source of where that wisdom comes from. And so in James chapter 1, he invites us into the opportunity of continually living in a life of seeking the word and the wisdom and the direction of God. And he says, in order to have this life of wisdom, you need to seek the one who gives it. So I asked myself this question. It, it, just, it just struck me. I've prayed about a lot of things. And I think that in, in many ways, without saying the word wisdom, I, I have been asking God, Lord, what do I do in this situation? How do I handle this person? How, how do we work through this scenario in order to bring glory to your name and, and for the church to grow or for my family to work things out or whatever it is? I didn't say, Lord, give me wisdom, but I really was praying for wisdom. But when was the last time I just got on my knees or as I was driving with my eyes open, prayed to the Lord, Lord, give me wisdom in this area of my life? And what a great prayer that would be for you and I. Instead of worrying about what we can't control, instead of fretting about what we might or might not think the end result would be, particularly and specifically asking God to give us an understanding and a dose of wisdom for a particular situation that we might not understand or be able to work on in our own way. And so wisdom works like that. We realize we need it and we ask God for it and then we wait on his deliverance and his revelation. So James not only says that wisdom works itself out in the fruit of the Christian life, but he also says to be wisdom that you're after on your screen, it says watch your wisdom. And, and what he's really trying to get out of here, and again, we're kind of getting back to uh, at least partially talking to those who wanted to be teachers and leaders in the church. He says in verse 14 in the English Standard Version, if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. The Greek use for the word selfless ambition kind of reminds me of, of politicians of our day. Um, but it reminded the people in their day of the politicians in their world as well. Uh, it amazes me how many promises we hear coming up to election day of how we're going to change the world and we're going to save the whales and we're going to do all these things and, and the whales are still in danger and, and we, you know, our debt is higher than ever before and they boast of many things and make many great promises, but often fail to follow hardly any of them. And for many of them, they to get elected, but their behavior in office tells a different story. Just think of the stories over the last year of how often that is true. And James says, don't make promises you can't keep, or don't make boasts about things that you may never follow through with. Because that wisdom in verse 15 is not from above, 
but it's earthly and, and spiritual and demonic. And I shared earlier about that anonymous note that I got, and I was reading through this passage this week, and I thought, that was me. That's what James is talking about right there. This was, the, the whole scenario was a new ministry, new people involved, God doing new things, God doing great things. And because I had a bad attitude, it quickly became about me. Now, I'm grateful at least to have part of the wisdom of what James is talking about. He's saying, it's funny here that he says, if you have selfish ambition in your heart, um, he doesn't criticize us for that. He just says, don't go out and, and step in it by publicly reacting to what's happened. The temptation when we're criticized is to go out and, and call someone out, right? Or to get revenge or to take those inner feelings that we have and react in a way that might damage a relationship or damage a church or damage a ministry. And I know that the Lord gave me the wisdom to hold that in until he could deal with that inner part of me that was having a trouble with, with me and not necessarily someone else. But there is something that what James is talking about is work sometimes in our relationships, in our ministries, in our conversations. We think that the subject is about something else, but so much of the time the subject is about us. And so I just want to talk about pride for just a minute. There's a story I read years ago about an old frog who wanted to fly south with the geese for the winter. It was getting cold, and the frog had no hope of ever making it there when a couple of geese stopped to say goodbye. And the frog begged to go with them. But you can't even fly, they said to the frog. It's all right, guys, it's all right. I thought of a way I can go with you. And he picked up a stick and told the geese to grab each end of it with your beak. And he grabbed the, the middle of the stick with his mouth, and he held on to the stick in between the two beaks of the geese flying through the sky with the frog grabbing on to the stick with his mouth. Everything went well as they flew further south until they flew over a farmer in a field below who looked up at the sky and shouted, Look at that! That's amazing! I wonder who thought of that! That's when the frog, wanting to get all the credit, opened his mouth to say, I did! and fell to his death. And what James is saying is that nothing good comes when we put I above anything or anyone else. I read a story, I had missed this growing up. Who of you remember the Challenger explosion in 1986? I was nine years old at that time, but I remember it just like it was yesterday. They'd already delayed the launch a few times, and the night before the launch date, the temperatures in Florida plummeted. And there was a particular engineer who was greatly concerned about the O-rings on his company's part of the creation of the Challenger ship, that they wouldn't operate properly at the temperature that it was going to be at. And he recommended the launch be postponed until a warmer day. But he was pressured by NASA officials and actually had one of his bosses sign off on the mission and then 73 seconds after launch, the shuttle burst into flames. And an accident review later found that those O-rings that he was worried about were the cause of the failed breach and the explosion that was to follow. And it was about more the reputation of not canceling once again, 
that led to such a destructive moment that if they just listened to the caution of wisdom for someone who knew what he was doing, there might have been a completely different scenario than what happened before. And what James is trying to show to us and to check with us is, is when, when the rubber meets the road in our conversations, how do we respond? I hope that your Thanksgiving time around the family was, was a blessing. I hope that you had a lot of great food, and I hope you got a lot of great fun. For those of you who are interested, got to watch a lot of great football. And for some of us, those family gatherings are something that we dread. And I hope that isn't the case for you. It might just be that there are those one or two people who seem to have forgotten that wisdom even exists. And we go with fear and trepidation into that time because we're not really sure what's going to be said, and maybe even more so, we're not really sure how we're going to react to what's being said by those who seem to lack it. James is saying is that wisdom is the balancing factor in the way things will go. And it's up to you and I to choose how we're going to respond and react in those situations that we're going to face in our life. Are we going to act in the way of the world where it's about us and our feelings and our way and our time and our answer and our emotions, or is it going to be about deferring those to the Lord? And so he talks in this passage about the way of the world. It, it, brings, it brings disaster. It brings ruin. And just think of the times where you and I have failed to act in wisdom in a wise way, and it's hurt us. I can remember our first church I pastored, and we had a gentleman in our church who just wasn't, wasn't okay with little kids. In fact, he wasn't okay with anyone who wasn't under 50 years old, it didn't seem like. Uh, so if you're under 50, you're a kid this morning, right? And then if not, you're just a little bit older. Um, but they were um, in the fellowship hall just playing around the chairs, and, and he didn't like it. And he got angry, and he yelled at them and scared them, and they went running away crying. And it really bothered me. And I, I did what most normal fatherly parents would do. I went and reacted. That was angry in a way, forceful, a way that protected and felt right at the time. But I look back on that now, and that was the beginning of the end of church. Do my kids deserve to be talked to in that way? Never. Was there something that I should have done in order to help I was coming from and the reasons that he would react that way? Yes, there should have been that opportunity. Was there an opportunity for me to work a situation out peaceably where I would grow closer to this gentleman and maybe even give a chance for him to get to know my family in a different setting in our own home and work things out. There were all of those opportunities. But because I chose in that moment to act in a way that was far from wise, I ruined our relationship. I damaged the trust that I built with church, and it wasn't too much longer until we were gone. And James says, oh, that's one way to do it. Or there's another way that we could go as well. And so he talks about this meekness of wisdom. And that phrase has just stuck with me this week, a a meekness of wisdom. Jesus said, blessed are the meek. They're going to get a lot of things. That's kind of what he said. Things are going to go right for them. Things are going to be blessed in their life. They're going to be happy because they have the ability to say, Lord, I may not know the answer to this. I'm not sure the right way to react to it. Will you give me the patience and the strength and the grace to hold off until I know the right way? 
And that may not feel right to you. You may feel like as a believer, you've got to have the answer now. You've got to have the instant reaction now. You've got to, you know, your guard goes up and you've got to protect your kids now. And I have, by and large, in those moments where I feel like I didn't have in myself the ability to answer in the right way, saying nothing at all was always the safer bet. <laughs> and waiting upon the wisdom of God to come down the road in a way that would be instructive and teaching to me. You know, it's always difficult when someone comes to you as a Christian, maybe you've had this happen to you, and, and asks you a question about the Bible, asks you a question about God or about the church or about spiritual things, and you don't know the answer. If ever that happened in you, they just ask one of those questions that you don't know, and, and the temptation is to just blurt out something, you know, make it up as you go or, or try your best, and, and by far and away, the best way to answer that is say, you know what, that is a really good question and I really want to find the answer to that, would you give me a couple of days to find the answer, and I will come back to you with the best answer that I have. Thank you so much for that question, and I want to, make, I want to come back to this as soon as I possibly can. I wonder in our relationships sometimes, and we don't have the answer that feels right or an answer at all, if maybe applying that to some of our relationships would be a good idea. Because James chapter 3, verse 17 says, Wisdom from above is first pure and then peaceable and gentle and open to reason and full of mercy and good fruits and impartial and sincere. The wisdom of God is pure. And I think that puts into contrast much of the way sometimes we as followers of God tend to react in our daily life. A few years ago, National Public Radio had a story on about a father and son, and the father was been a pastor for years and was getting ready to enter the mission field. And his son had left for college and, and just forsaken the faith, and, and as a 28-year-old was just angry at God, angry at his dad, angry at the world. And before his dad went off to the mission field, he said, I'm going to meet with him, and I'm just going to blast him. I'm going to list every argument I can about why what he's doing is ridiculous and how faith in God is wrong and messed up and a joke. And, and he was just going to go and blow up on his dad, and, and that way he could get it off of his chest. And he didn't know how it was going to end up, but he just, he just had to get it out. And so they met. And the son unloaded, and every bullet he had in his arsenal, he unloaded. And every argument and every attack that he could think of against his dad, he poured out, and, 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 he, and finally he was done. And his dad just sat there and listened to this whole thing. And the father just looked at his son, and he was like, you know, I love you, and I'm so proud of everything that you've accomplished and I'll miss you every second that I'm gone. And he wrote later, I had never expected to lose completely this argument. <laughs> but I lost because you can't argue with decency and with love. And what David's dad demonstrated in that conversation was a kind of wisdom and meekness and humility and purity of heart and mind that would do us so well in our homes, in our families, in our places of employment, in our schools. I want that kind of wisdom in my life, don't you? The kind of wisdom that listens even though it hurts. The kind of wisdom that takes whatever comes our way without attacking back. The kind of wisdom that helps me live beyond my own strength in the world in which I live. 
Because James gets to something at the end of this passage that is, I think, what all of us want. And he was like, this wisdom from above that is pure and gentle and meek and low of heart, he says something here, it brings peace. It is a peacemaking fruit that God gives to you and I. If you are married this morning, uh, is every moment of every day of being a married person peaceful? Come on. If you have every secret, every secret out there, you're wiser than me, I know, because most of you are more seasoned in years. But every moment of every day of marriage is not a peaceful moment. We're going to have arguments. I remember getting ready to marry this couple years ago, and they were like, you know, Pastor, we have never had a fight, and we're never going to. And we were going to marry them in like two days. And I, I, part of me said to myself, maybe they're not quite ready for this yet. <laughs> Because just wait about an hour after the wedding, and it will not take long for those disagreements and those differences to come out. And I'm sure that it did, and they're still married to this day as far as I know. But the fact of the matter is, when, when the reality of our life situations, whether it's husband and wife, or grandkid and grandparent, or son and daughter, or, or daughter and mother, or son and mother, whatever it is in our life, friend in the church, board member, whoever it is, pastor certainly, we all need wisdom, amen? We all need wisdom in order to handle the fact that we're not all going to always agree all the time. The Bible talks about the church being his bride. We are adorned gloriously for him as he gets ready to come again. And the Bible says that we're to trim our lamps and be ready for his second coming. And part of that process for us, I think, is growing this area of wisdom. It's exciting to see first friends growing. We've had really good attendance, and we've had a lot of new energy in the church, and I believe that God has some really big things in store for us in the days and the months and the years to come, and I hope that and trust that you're praying for the leadership of First Friends Church that will have wisdom beyond our abilities Wisdom beyond our years in order to, to, to sense God's direction and handle changes and, and new steps and new processes that we go through in life. And the fact of the matter is it's going to be times during that process where you and I are going to disagree with each other. And I'm, I'm going to go back to earlier and I'm going to say if I have a disagreement with you, I hope in my heart that I can just come and, and name it and talk with you in person. Or if I feel like sending an email, you'll know who it's from. Um, but if... Someone gets an anonymous note, and it says the pastor on it, and it's not anonymous anymore. <laughs> but I hope that as we work through our Christian journey together, we all can be seeking wisdom together. And I think that's kind of how I wanted to, to draw this to a close, is that, have, that we're all in the same playing field. We're all in the same place of needing wisdom beyond our years, wisdom beyond our ability to understand our own wisdom for tomorrow that only God can provide. And I love this idea that came into my mind of just, of just having a time, just a couple of minutes of, of silence before the Lord and saying, Lord, would you give me wisdom and, and you name that situation in your life? It might be in, in a meeting you're going to have with the church board in a day or a week or a month. It might be in a conversation that you know is going to happen with your spouse once the pastor quits preaching. It may be something at work that's going to come up this week, and you're going to need God's wisdom to handle it. It may be that you and I need to talk 
about something in your life and God would give us wisdom to handle that in the right way. It just may be this morning that every single one of us here needs more of God. I need more of him. You need more of him. And what James, I think, is really trying to say to us is that if we're living our lives in a way that we're desiring to please God, then then he's going to be giving us wisdom day by day. Day by day, he's going to give us wisdom. But the fact of the matter is, you know, I've often said, you have as much of God as you want. I think it's probably true with wisdom, too. You can have as much wisdom as you desire to have. As you seek out the heart of God and seek out the word of God, it is an opportunity that God invites you and I into in order to seek his face and his word and his message together. And I was talking with our general superintendent of Northwest Yearly Meeting just a few days ago, and we kept coming back to this word opportunity. Life is an opportunity that all of us have each and every moment of every day, and are we taking advantage of the opportunity to seek wisdom in our life? There are so many things that we can do and fill our time with and be a part of and be involved in, and this invitation to become wiser before God is there before all of us. It is God's invitation to get to know him better. It's not having all the answers, but it's having the answer to the next step in our life as we follow him. So I'd just like us to have a couple minutes of silence this morning together before God. There are some things that we can know corporately together about something that's going on in our life, and there are a lot of things that no one else may really understand. But after talking with most of you for the three-plus years we've been here now, there's a lot of things that come up in life where we need God's help and we need God's direction and we need his discernment. And let's just take, just let the Lord lead in this a few minutes of just waiting before God. If you have something specific on your heart and mind, I would encourage you to pray specifically about that area in your life where, Lord, I don't know the answer and I need your wisdom in that. And let's pray together that God would reveal that to us.
before Robert leads us in the closing song, I was thinking this week, uh, years ago, I went bottom fishing like the men in our church did a while ago, and my line kept going out in the water, and usually you want to keep it on the bottom when you're bottom fishing, and, it, and the, the drift in the current was bad, and my line kept going out, and, and I just kept letting more line out, thinking it might hit the bottom again, and the captain said, you know, you need to reel that in, you've got fish on. And it feels sometimes in our Christian life that we just keep putting our prayers out and we keep waiting on the Lord. And then one day the Lord says, you know, I've got something for you. Just believe and have faith and trust in me. And I reeled in that line. And it was, it was the neatest thing I've ever seen at the end of, of a line. Uh, we were jigging two jigs, and the bottom jig had um, one of the orange fish about like that. It was huge. And then the top line had two fish. It had a smaller fish about like that. And then a bigger fish, bigger than the other one, had latched onto that. And I got three fish out of two hooks. And that was just one of the neatest things that I'd done. And the captain said, you know, he'd been watching me for a while, kind of snickering, he said, under his breath, because all along he knew what was going on. And I wonder sometimes if the Lord isn't like that nice old captain, kind of snickering as we wait and wonder and worry about what's going on, and then at that moment when he reveals his truth to us, he opens our eyes. And what a catch we find. James says it brings peace, the wisdom that comes from God. Let's all stand, and we're going to close in a song before we go.